Welcome back to the Long Game Podcast, everyone. I am proud to announce today that the Long Game Podcast has been revamped as we have partnered up with uh, CGS CIMB to bring you more in-depth industry insights. Uh, this would certainly be the, not the last, but the first episode of uh, our series and we're definitely really excited to bring you more diverse content with our new partnership. So I think just to give a quick rundown of our episode today on macro matters, decoding the market dynamics, we'd be looking at the recent macroeconomics development, taking glimpse of the upcoming economic and monetary releases, as well as exploring the outlook of the financial markets. We then shift our gaze to the recent budget announcement in Malaysia, deciphering the significance and unraveling what it actually means for our economic traction, at least in the short to the medium term for now. Um, and now, without further ado, let me introduce our guest for this episode, uh, Encik Ahmad Nazmi Idrus, Head Economist at CGSCIMB. Welcome, Nazmi. Happy to Welcome be here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Thank that's you. great. I hope we're feeling uh, chip and cheerful today. Okay, I think uh, let's just dive straight into the first segment, which is uh, on the global economic outlook. Mm-hmm. I think um, we know that the global economic growth will slow even more, at least it's predicted so in 2024, due to high interest rate, increased energy prices, and perhaps a slowdown in the world's top two economies, as reported by the World Economic Forum. So we could see a global growth slowing down to 2.6% from 29 currently this year, according to a Reuters poll forecast. While we generally agree, I mean, economists generally agree that the world will avoid falling into recession, they highlight the possibility of mild recessions in Europe and UK as well. Yep. Uh, I do note that uh, you had an interview with BFM last month, um, or along the same lines as well, on the inflationary measures as well. And I think you indicated that based on on inflationary data, the forecast seems to be trending upwards with issues such as geopolitics uh, as contributing factors. Yeah, mm-hmm. You also predicted that Malaysia would maintain the OPR rates at 3%, which was spot on. It was actually maintained as announced earlier this month as well. So just to build a little more on that, uh, maybe we can just get your perspective on the projections for the further slowdown of the global economic growth in uh, 2024. Sure. So, um, I, I think I think first of all you need to understand that. Uh, of course, I do agree that if you look at on on a global uh, average basis, yep. things likely to slow down a little bit. Yep. I mean, I think you quoted number from World Bank. I mean, if you look at all other supranationals as well, for example, IMF also forecasting even weaker growth uh, for next year. Uh, but but a few things out of that. Number one is that. We, we still do expect growth for next year. Yeah, it, it's just a slowing down a bit compared to this year. That's number one. Number two is that within, within the global growth, there's huge divergences in terms of uh, economic performance. Um, the, the US, for instance, is expected to slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, China is also expected to slow down a little bit, uh, considering that they had a reopening this year. So there actually has been rather strong economic performance this year. Uh, EU, for instance, is likely to experience recession fairly soon. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at in terms of the growth for next year, they're likely to see a bit of a rebound. So next year, we're probably going to be experiencing a slightly better growth. Okay. Uh, but if you look at in terms of the regional countries in, in, in the sense of ASEAN, for instance, uh, then you see divergences in, in, in the sense that we do actually expect Malaysia to ex- experience slightly better growth next year. Uh, similar with Singapore and, and, and Thailand as well. So it really depends depends on where you are, um, uh, you're likely to see either either a slower growth uh, uh, prospects for next year or a slightly better prospect next year. But on average, then then you can you can say that on, on, on average, the, the global environment likely to, to go a little bit weaker for next year. Oh, you mentioned earlier that you expect uh, Malaysia to see a slightly better growth yep. in, in next year. Maybe mm-hmm. you'd like to tell us why you think so? Okay, so... so uh, Malaysia had a very interesting uh, year for, for this year, in fact. Um, the, the fact that um, we had a very rough exports for this year. Uh, our export performance on a nominal basis actually is on a negative growth for much throughout this year. Yep. Uh, and that actually was due to several reasons. Number one was that global demand has been uh, weakening, given that the US actually has raised interest rates and, and other advanced countries also raised interest rates. So the global demand has weakened. Uh, number two is that 
um, quite a good chunk of our product is uh, export product is actually in electrical electronics. Yeah. About forty percent of that, uh, and and electrical and electronics tend to follow their own business cycle. Uh, and if you look at in terms of the semiconductor business cycle right now, it actually has bottom, and we are seeing seeing signs that the the semiconductor uh, bottom actually start to start to turn into an up cycle. Uh, so so the the support for next year for Malaysia will likely come on the export side is the the turnaround on the on the uh, ENE cycle. Number two is that. Um, our major trading partner is also China. Yeah. And China, what we've seen on China macro data so far is that we are seeing things starting to turn around. Um, in a sense that because in China um, uh, economy right now, they actually has been putting a lot of stimulus in, in, in order to try to generate more growth for the economy, and we have seen things starting to, to start to improve. So on the on the export side, we do expect export to start to turn slightly positive uh, for next year compared to negative this year. So that's on the external side. On the domestic side. Uh, we notice that the domestic demand is still rather resilient, um, and that also stems from the fact that the central bank actually didn't raise interest rate high enough uh, compared to the rest of the world. In fact, if you look at in terms of Bank Negara OPR at 3%, that's, that's somewhat in the range of the long-term average already. Mm-hmm. And if you look at in terms of the interest rate for other, uh, other countries, it actually has been past their long-term, long-term rate. So they're actually suppressing their own demand. In Malaysia, we don't actually see that happening. So private consumption has been rather resilient. Number two is that um, if you look at in terms of the tourism, tourism sector, uh, we hasn't we haven't re- achieved the level of recovery similar to that of the pre-pandemic. So there's still some space of, of improvements there. Uh, and if you if you heard the news over the weekend, um, uh, the government actually re- removed the visa requirement for for visitors yeah. coming from China, for, for India, China. Uh, and 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 we we do see a lot of potential for improvements on the tourism related sector. So tourism related sectors are the retail, the transport, the, the accommodation sectors. Huh? So things will likely to start to improve uh, further uh, for next year then that would uh, support uh, growth going forward. Um, one thing that we are concerned about is with the government efforts to introduce a targeted subsidy. Mm-hmm. Um, the targeted subsidy could be dampening on private consumption, yeah. uh, but I think the government right now is, is figuring out some mitigating uh, uh, measures to actually to try to mitigate some of these uh, measures. So assuming that there's no impact to private consumption, then we think that growth will continue for next year. I see. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's uh, really in tune, especially since they just announced the targeted subsidy for the fuel program mm. uh, to be launched in the second half of yeah. next year. It's, yeah. it's really in line with that as well. But I think just mentioning a little bit on the tourism sector, do you think it's enough? Do you think growth from that sector, or what, what the government is currently doing, especially with the, uh, you know, uh, the flexi visa requirements for China and maybe perhaps other countries as well? I heard they're mm-hmm. exploring plans to actually... Uh, you know, do it for other countries as well. Would this be enough to actually support growth for the country? Well, tourism is not a major component of, of our economy. I mean, if you compare ourselves with Thailand, Thailand, for instance, a huge portion of the economy is reliant on tourism. We, we don't have that, uh, but it does support the, 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 the sectors such as retails, yep. uh, you know, accommodation and transport. So it will be slight positive for, yep. for the economy. And I think that's, that's something that we should uh, also be, be more positive about. I think just uh, circling slightly back, I think uh, you did mention quite a bit on the uh, supply side and the lagging pool, uh, also China's, uh, you know, additional, uh, what do you call that? Uh, measures. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, recently, last month, uh, you had that views uh, uh, on on China's economy potentially bottoming out, and uh, in anticipation of that, with a substantial stimulus, uh, coupled with uh, the fear of recession in the US being overbought, mm. I think you've already explained a little bit. But I think. What I want to know is, do you think this is a positive for us? Or do you think there's a possibility that there is a false sense of security in the economic landscape and also the market complexity? 
I, I agree with that. I think you should you should be careful of, of, of having that sense of security yeah. uh, and anything when it comes to economic forecasting. Um, when, when I say U.S. is not going to enter recession, it doesn't mean that they're going to actually experience better growth. In fact, in fact, most most economists would agree that uh, economic uh, economic growth in the U.S. is likely to slow down next year compared to this year. Um, it's just a matter of whether we're going to see uh, a slow growth, what would they call a soft landing, or we're likely to see a hard landing, which is which is the economy go go all the way down to you know to a technical recession. Um, but but either way. Um, the, the the expectation is that things are going to be much slower for the U.S. Yep. Okay. So that's one. Um, on China as well, I think a lot of China improvement right now has been driven by policy. Yeah. Um, and, and not and not and, and not underlying demand. So if you look at in terms of China, there's three sources of growth in China. Number one is the the, the consumption itself. Number two is the manufacturing because they are actually the factory of the world. So they actually produce uh, depend on demand of the global uh, market. Number three is the real estate. The the manufacturing is not performing because right now there's there's really very little global demand for goods. Number two is that the real estate is their own self doing because of their own um, intention to burst the real estate bubble. So the, the real estate sector is not performing. So the only thing that is generating growth for the China economy right now is is the consumption side, mm. um, and the consumption is actually not functioning very well because the two are not are not contributing to the growth in consumption as well, um, and so. Uh, a lot of stimulus has been injected by the by the Chinese government, and and once you stop that injection, what will happen to the underlying demand for for China's growth? So, so at the moment we still think that uh, it will see, we will see some uh, continued improvements in China's economy, but that really depends on 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 how that stimulus is actually going to be. Uh, implemented and how the the market or the public react to this. Yeah. So there's always there's always a possibility that okay we say that things are going to bottom out, it's not going to see a recession. But I mean it could go either way. Um, if you look into the market right now, markets right now is still pricing in the possibility of recession in the US. It's just the 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 possibility is actually much narrower now. So I mean baseline assumption things are going to get better, but. You know, you know that there, there could be a, a, a black swan event where things actually do yeah. get worse. Exactly. Yeah. See, I think hearing your 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 views on China, especially, it got me slightly worried because we know China is our largest trading partner as well, followed very closely by US at yep. at third place. I think mm-hmm. um, fifteen to eleven percent. I think the difference is very minimal there. Yep. So I think just just banging on a little bit with China grappling and uh, potentially and the US appearing somewhat resilient, you'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the red heights, do, what do you think of this divergence? Like, what do you think? Uh, how do you think it will affect us, Malaysia? What are the implications on that? So yeah, we, we are in a very interesting situation where where in the West uh, we seen the US struggling with with the growth that is a bit uh, a bit too strong, and that's why they actually raise interest rate, and that's why we we seeing inflation and so on. Whereas on the other side, uh, China, which is also our biggest trading partner, uh, is actually having the opposite side, where they they cannot generate growth with all these uh, problems with the real estate and and lack of global uh, demand and so on. Um, as I said, usually this story is 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 more of twenty twenty three story. For 2024, what we expect is that China will likely to start to to rebound a bit. So I think we do expect exports to start to turn positive. So that that's the hope that uh, that that we have. Uh, but also, I think Malaysia right now needs to rely also on its own domestic generated uh, growth. I have mentioned about the tourism, and I have mentioned about the resiliency of the private consumption, and this needs to continue. Despite the, despite the, uh, you know, the, the targeted subsidy implementation, that needs to be carefully managed in order to not dampen this, uh, this, this private consumption growth that we've seen so far. So we need to reduce over-reliance on, say, China and, and, and maybe US as well. Yep. Okay, I think like we need to touch a little bit on the monetary decisions as well, mm-hmm. um, yeah, especially one that was just announced earlier this month 
and uh, maybe just looking into expectations that we have into the one that's uh, going to be announced later on in in December. Mm. So uh, very exciting times indeed. Two more weeks. Uh, just a bit of context, maybe. Uh, we know that the next interest rate decision comes uh, in second week of December, and the rates are likely to remain unchanged. I mean, this is speaking in in terms of US mm-hmm. at five point two five percent to around five point five percent, and I think that's owing due to the October CPI report, of course, where we see inflation slowly moving lower, where the rates are already quite high, quite restrictive, you know. So what, uh, you know, in your opinion, how might the anticipated decision of maintaining the current interest rate align or even deviate from the market expectations and uh, what implications do you, do you foresee for investors, uh, especially in the financial markets and how will the financial markets react to this sort of uh, maintenance of uh, somewhat restrictive interest rates? You're talking about the Fed uh, interest yeah, rates? Yeah, so okay. that, that's the states. Um, so um, here's the thing. Um, full disclosure. In fact, um, when when we forecast the Fed interest rates, we actually expected the Fed to actually pause. This is few months back, uh, and and which they did. They actually they actually have paused twice already in their their past two meetings. Um, and and markets at that time still kind of hoping for the Fed to continue to hike. In fact, they're actually pricing in a hike in December. Yeah. Uh, but what we've seen so far, like I mentioned, in, in terms of inflation data that came out recently, yeah. uh, we see a broad-based decline in inflationary pressures and that actually solidified the expectation that Fed might not want to actually hike anymore. So the market expectation for, for December it is, I think, um, almost, almost unanimous that uh, the Fed might not hike. Um, uh, but the but the key question right now is, uh, where is the cut? Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, or, or basically, how how long do you expect Fed to actually maintain this level of interest rates? Um, and that actually the 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 question that tend to move the market at the moment, um, because the because if you look at in terms of consensus right now, uh, market is actually very divergent on where they think the Fed will start to cut. In fact, some expected the second quarter, some even expected the end of 2024. So th- there's a huge divergence on where, where the, the, they think the Fed will cut. Um, but what we do know for sure is that when Fed start to cut, theoretically, the interest rate differential should start to narrow mm-hmm. against other regional countries. And that will actually lead to a reversal of flows. Uh. For example, that should uh, also help the appreciation of the ringgit. And and that appreciation of the ringgit is one of the key um, key uh, developments that I think market would look for uh, for next year. I see. Okay. And and do you believe that this interest rate at five point two five to five point five percent is actually conducive for the UK, U.S. economy and the global growth? Because as we know, it trickles down as well, right? The, yeah. the U.S. economy. Well, leads. well the, the simple answer is that it's not. Uh, of course, five point five percent is restrictive on on econ- on, on 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 growth. Uh, and and that was the intention anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the intention is actually to restrict the economy so far down, uh, so that inflationary pressures is dampened. And what we've seen so far, inflation is still rather high, mm-hmm. uh, they, but there are signs that inflation in the US actually easing down. Uh, so oh, so it is a necessary evil that or necessary requirement that the Fed actually has to have an uh, interest rate that is very restrictive on economic growth. Um, but of course, the question next year is when they they will, they will start to cut, lah. And when they start to cut, then we will see started. Uh, we we'll like to see adjustments on on the global markets about currency, about 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 movements and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned uh, earlier how it affects the Malaysian currency as well. Mm-hmm. So then that leads right into my next question. So, what do you think is the impact is on Malaysian economy aside from the currency currency mm-hmm. aside? What do you think are the challenges or opportunities? Even do you think we as Malaysians have in this context? And what kind of adjustment would you recommend for the country in order for us to da- navigate these dynamics? Okay, so. Um the the lowering of the uh, U.S. interest rates or the or the narrowing of the interest rate differential between us and the and, and the U.S. 
um, is actually going to mean that things will start to normalize. It start to normalize back to hopefully the pre-pandemic levels where, where, where interest rate differential is, is manageable. Uh, and that means that ringgit will start to strengthen. Yep. Um, the ringgit strengthening is actually going to do the exact opposite of what ringgit weakening will happen to, to Malaysia. So if you, if you understand that um, the ringgit weakening causes in, um, imported inflation, yep. so ringgit strengthening will cause uh, the, the, um, uh, the inflation to actually to decelerate. Yeah. So that's actually positive for Malaysia in handling some of the some of the uh, inflationary pressures that we've seen domestically. Uh, so 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 that's 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 good lah. Those are basically the major implications uh, to the economy. But you can also go very narrow to this. For example, if you look at in terms of the 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 exchange rate. Once exchange rate start to, to appreciate, ringgit becomes stronger. Yeah. Um, we actually import a lot of capital goods. Yep. So capital goods are like machineries and, and investment items. So when ringgit started to get uh, stronger, uh, it's cheaper for the businesses to actually do invest mm. because we import a lot of capital I goods. See. So, they can so businesses can actually that. can actually capitalize yeah. on, on a stronger ringgit to actually start to, to invest on, on, on more goods. So that, that could lead to another set of uh, growth and investments mm. and so on. So there, there, there are many pathways that, that leads to, to strengthening of, of the ringgit. Well, what about the downside? So we, we've seen the upside of it, how they can capitalize on that. Well, there are many downsides. For example, if, if ringgit started to strengthen uh, uh, then we're likely to see more outflows. For example, because ringgit uh, is stronger, then Malaysians will likely to travel more abroad. Yep. Um, then that could mean that you know there's more money flowing out of the country. Mm. Um, so that's tit and tat and, and probably the exports as well. Yep. So export will likely to. I mean, if you, if you want to just just uh, just uh, unilateral between between us and and our market, for example, the US, then the appreciation of the ringgit will mean that we lose competitiveness on the nominal yeah. basis. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's a whole explanation behind that. I mean, you can also compare the real nominal effective exchange rates. Yep. You know, you adjust it to inflation and so on. It, it's not as compli- It's not as as easy as looking at that directly. Yeah. Mm. It's. it's really difficult isn't it <laughs> okay uh, I think uh, that's a great segue into our second segment so that really concludes our first segment which is the global economic outlook just moving swiftly on to our second segment now mm-hmm. which is on the domestic outlook uh, we definitely can't overlook the recently announced crucial budget 2024 uh, last month just last month I think uh, just a bit of a context for our listeners out there the budget 2024 was tabled in the parliament last month about mid last month mm-hmm. with a team of economic reform empowering the people on top of the Madani framework announced in August this year as well and it introduced uses many key measures actually lots of policies uh, some of which uh, might overlap with each other as well uh, to build a sustainable foundation to drive the future growth of the country um, and particularly they target a lower budget deficit of 4.3% uh, you know soon um, however you know we don't really see many measures <laughs> uh, maybe on the execution side I, I think that was also your concern if, if I'm not mistaken yeah, I heard your interview in, in BFM uh, last <laughs> month. I think your concern, uh, I've read articles as well, was on the execution part, right? Uh, I think everyone was also wondering how would this be done? So maybe on that note, you can just briefly tell us what are your overall impressions on uh, the, pu- the budget and also um, the recently programs that are starting to roll out in the early or second half of next year. Okay, so... Um, 
not not sure a lot of audience know about this, but prior to the budget announcements, there were series of announcements that came before that. Uh, first of all, was the economy Madani. Yep. Uh, and then there was this uh, new energy uh, transition. There was also the new industrial master plan. There was also the 12th Malaysia, uh, Malaysia plan midterm review. So there was a f- few things that they were announced uh, prior to that. And, and, and just the cherry on top is the budget. Uh, so the budget basically encapsulates all the efforts, that all the announcements that they they done previously, like the Economy Madani, NETR, uh, Malaysia plan and so on. Um, and so we... we, we we, we like that the way that the government done it because in a sense that it actually gives the investors uh, a sense of clearer direction going forward because they're saying that, okay, what, what we do with, 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 with EV, what we're going to do with uh, solar power, what we're going to do with, uh, you know, uh, equitability and so on. Um, there was also a bit of surprise coming from the budget because uh, we initially thought that the government would announce GST. Mm. Uh, we'll yeah. be telling clients that the GST is likely to happen and a very strong uh, you know, uh, indication for that. Uh, but what happened was that uh, it, didn't hap- it did not happen, but what happened was that they actually raised the service tax from, from 6% to 8% on the selected items. Uh, and, and in fact, that, that would lead to a very minimal improvements in revenue, about $3.5 billion. So that's yeah. not, actually not a lot. Um, uh, other than that, they also introduced, um, you know, uh, tax on on on, on luxury goods. Uh, le- yes, and also uh, unlisted shares, yep. uh, capital gains tax on unlisted shares, and so on. And then those are those are what we actually have predicted anyway. Um, so I would I would say there was devoid of measures. There was a lot of measures in there, um, but of course. Uh, having all this um, ambitious program, uh, whether the government could actually deliver it or not, is is is, is another matter. Uh, so I, that's why I argue. But the execution part is 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 it needs to be there. I didn't say it wasn't there. I said it needs to be there to to actually uh, to actually match with all these ambitious programs that the government uh, have have rolled out. Uh, we do agree that the fiscal deficit. Uh, is 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 lower and that's actually good because we've been we've been saying to the government uh, that you know you really need to have a fiscal deficit that is more sustainable and 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 4.3 percent is somewhat midpoint between the five percent that we're likely to see uh, this year and the goal of having 3.5 percent deficit in 2025. So there's kind of like a midpoint uh, a midpoint there. Um, so yeah, I think overall the budget I think is 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 fairly good. It seems like, of course, they the I mean, from my perspective, it could be have been better in terms of revenue generation. Mm. Um, but I think so far, given the government uh, government current situation, I think it's actually fairly good budget. Yeah. So okay, I mean, you mentioned a bit on the revenue generation side. Do you think that we would have been better off if GSC was actually reintroduced um, now rather than later, considering mm. the minimal amount of increase in SST? So what do you think about that? Okay, so um, I I I can understand the political aspect of this. Uh, GST is a very sensitive subject. Um, and so uh, you, you kind of have to have a bit of finesse in, in rolling out a certain kind of tax that is uh, in some sense actually regressive because it's actually affecting the poor uh, as, as much as it's affecting the rich. Um, so um, you kind of have to do it very, 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 uh, very nicely. Uh, but you need to also understand that you need to figure out a very good timing for this to happen because if you look at in terms of the government um, government's election term, you know you kind of have to do another election back in, in 2026. Um, so if you don't do it this year, then the window of opportunity for you to announce going forward is actually narrowing because once you announce a GST, yeah. then you need to prepare for it. Yeah. And preparing for it takes a long time. You need the businesses to actually you know, uh, get the right skill. You need to train them, get the right software, and the government itself also needs to train their own yeah. staff uh, to do this. And it doesn't take uh, a short time to do so. Of course, we have experience doing it before, so maybe the, the, the ad- adoption 
transition will be, be easier compared to last time, but it will take a long uh, time still uh, for it to be adopted. So that's why we've been saying that, okay, if you don't do, do, do this now, then perhaps next, next year might be a little short window for you to do so, yeah. be, having been closer to, to election, election term. Um, but if you really want to address your fiscal problem, for example, your high debt levels, your debt service charges and so on, a new source of revenue is needed and GST is the easiest or the most direct way of, of addressing this. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So I think you mentioned a bit as well, but I'd just like to think, uh, I'd like to, you know, take a peek into your views. How effective do you think the measures taken so far to improve the fiscal deficit are? Especially with our target, you say, nicely slot in between, uh, you know, the 5 and the 3.5 mark, which is 4.3% of the GDP next year. Okay, so if you have a time to look into MOF fiscal report that was actually published in the, in the MOF uh, website, um, you can see that the, the improvements in fiscal deficit comes from two sources. Number mm. one is the... Uh, the overall balance, the overall deficit is re reduced. Uh, number two is that because fiscal deficit is a share of GDP, so they, they, they actually forecasted GDP growth. So GDP is actually higher. Mm -hmm. So um, so let's talk about the, the overall balance first. The overall balance, uh, if you look at in terms of the improvements, um, Operating expenditure is higher next year compared to this year, and that's natural. Usually, because of the because of the inflationary effect, because mm -hmm. of the economic growth, and so on, operating expenditure tend to be higher. But what helped the, the lower fiscal deficit is the lower development expenditure. Mm -hmm. uh, they're forecasting development expenditure at ninety dollar, uh, sorry, ninety billion. Mm -hmm. um, this year is ninety seven billion. So they they there's seven billion savings uh, from there. Uh, so that helped to lower the fiscal deficit on top of a better economic growth, better GDP growth. So that that helped to um, lower lower the, lower the deficit. Is it enough though? Seven billion of savings. It it's well that helped to lower the deficit <laughs> from five percent to four point three lah. Okay. Uh, should, should. Um, yeah, but I think I think going forward things will likely to be in that nature anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Going forward uh, in twenty twenty five budget, for instance, we're likely to see you know a better GDP growth will help to lower the deficit, and also perhaps uh, the the overall balance also start to shrink as well. Mm. Okay, and and considering the global economic uncertainties, do you think the government has adequately addressed the potential external shock? And maybe their impact on the our economic stability. Yep. Um, well, if you look at in terms of the budget itself, uh, they still allocate a bit over fifty billions in uh, in uh, subsidy mm -hmm. for this year uh, mm -hmm. for next year. For this year, it's somewhere around sixty to sixty-five billion in okay. terms of subsidy. So uh, the subsidy allocation on a, on a normal year before pandem before the pandemic was somewhere between twenty to twenty-five billion. I see. Uh, so fifty billion is actually double mm. um, compared to a normal period. So I think the government still pricing in um, some subsidy spending mm -hmm. uh, for next year. Um, in in order to mitigate some of these shocks, uh, I think, and I, but 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 having said that, I think the shocks uh, for next year is not expected to be as strong as what we've seen for for this year and last year, you know, twenty twenty two and twenty twenty three, where where we experience uh, you know oil prices going hundred ten yeah. and 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 and, uh, and supply chain problems and so on mm. here and there, uh, we might not actually experience that, so we might not need as much uh, subsidy as uh, what we're going to have next year, But I think they have allocations, which is good. Okay, yeah, that's good. And we know that the government are actually putting in efforts, especially with the fiscal consolidations as well. Uh, a lot of people are actually praising this move, but there are still concerns about the rising government debts there. So how do you actually assess the trade-off between this fiscal consolidation and uh, you know, the increasing debt metrics? Where is okay. the fine line? Where is the balance? Okay, so... Um the debt problem is not something that you can deal with overnight. Yep. It is a structural problem that which takes years to address. 
Uh, in fact, if you look at in terms of the budget that the government, the budget report that from the MOF website, they actually expected a higher debt, government debt level next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, the debt service charges, which is the, uh, you, you can say the interest payment for the government debt, for the, all the debts, mm-hmm. is also going expected to be higher for next year. And, and, and this is a bit of a concern to us because government, uh, rising government debt uh, raises the, the issue of uh, um, ability to afford this. Yeah. Right? And, and that would actually make, uh, you know, rating agencies rating us lower. So um, if you compare Malaysia government debt right now, uh, so right now it's about 61 to 62%. Next year it's likely to be 64%. Our debt limit is 65%. Yeah. Um, if you compare that, against other A-rated countries globally, um, the, the 61-62% uh, is, is on the high side yeah. compared to our A-rated countries. And mm. that actually is a bit of a concern because now we, are, we, we seem to be more indebted than what we yeah, our, our rating definitely. agency would have, would have uh, thought us to be. Uh, and that could also mean that if things are going to get worse next year or the next few years, then there's a possibility that Malaysia would likely to experience a rating downgrade. Yeah. And then a rating downgrade would mean that uh, our cost of funding will go up and, and that's going to lead to a lot of set of problems. Um, so what we want the government to do is that to be more serious in, in terms of uh, addressing this debt problem. Uh, they, they have in the MOF uh, fiscal report actually mentioned about this and they plan on how they, they expect the debt to actually start to peak in 2024 mm-hmm. and start to come off in 2025 uh, fairly because of a lower debt collection, uh, lower debt uh, uh, incurred and also a better GDP growth. So let's hope that they actually manage to actually uh, do what they want to, 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 to do. Um, and, and then again, I, I say this, um, being status quo doesn't help. Yeah. I mean, if you if you continue to expect, oh, Malaysia, uh, if you continue to expect debt to GDP to only be improved fairly because of the better economic growth, and and that's actually a, a very optimistic assumption. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if you always say GDP forecast for next 24, 25, 26 is about four, uh, 4.8% or 5% going, which is unlikely. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, you, you know the global environment has actually has been very volatile. And you might, that might not be a good assumption. So what you want to do is perhaps, like I said, going back to the uh, bet, bet, better revenue collection, uh, new sources of revenue, uh, GST is actually also uh, a way for us to actually address some of these debt problems. Huh? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and I think that leads to quite an important question. What does this increase in government debt actually means for our capital market? Well, uh, uh, it goes back to the, the answer yeah. that I had earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, it is all about affordability. I mean, if the market doesn't believe that we're able to afford this, then they will charge us more in terms of interest. And, and, and paying more interest, meaning that you actually will allocate a lot more of your resources on paying debt rather than on other things, for example, you know, growth, promoting growth, uh, infrastructure and so on. Um, and so it, it goes back to what the market believe, whether the government were able to afford all these things or not. Um, and so debt management is actually very crucial for the government at the moment, especially now, given that our debt for next year going to be 64, that's actually close to the, you know, the, the 65% debt limit. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, because uh, most of our listeners are investors and also uh, businesses alike, I think it's really important that they, they take notice on how the government's actually managing their, their debt levels and things like that, right? Um, so, okay, then we have a review of subsidy mechanism, which is also another key focus in the budget with specific mentions of adjustments to electricity tariffs, uh, chicken and egg subsidies. Um, so how do you ex- anticipate that these subsidy uh, changes will impact different sectors of the economy? I think just drilling down into different sectors. Okay, so so far well, from what we know for the government, they, they still haven't uh, given out uh, 
detail of what they wanted to do yet. So they they did mention about chick, chicken and egg subsidy, but they removed chicken already. If you notice, yeah. the the price of chicken, uh, the price ceiling of chicken has been removed. Um, uh, eggs is still there. Uh, electricity subsidy. Uh, um, uh, the the rebate is still very generous in our opinion. Um, they they might actually do it. The 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 window of opportunity for for revision of the electricity subsidy is going to happen in December, for the period of uh, the first half uh, of 2024. The announcement should likely come between uh, around December, uh, give or take. Um, as you know, then in the news, the government has said the fuel subsidy going to be revised uh, in the second half of next year. Uh, we still don't know to what extent the, the 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 mechanism or what how much quantum they're actually going to adjust. If you look at in terms of, for example, the Ronati five, the Ronati five right now is two ringgit five cent. Uh, if you the, the the market price for Ronati five right now is three ringgit twenty cent. Mm. So so there's about one ringgit twenty cent adjustments. That's actually very significant. So if the government completely remove Ronati five uh, subsidy. Then overnight, the 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 fuel price will want to go from two ringgit five cent to yeah. two ringgit twenty cent or so. Um, that would that would lead to a huge implication on 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 the economy. Yeah. Inflation will start to jump immediately. Mm. Of course, so then then of course the government would need to to think about this carefully whether they want to do uh, one-off adjustments or they're going to do staggered adjustments. You know, twenty cent, twenty cent, twenty cent, uh, going forward. Uh, we still don't know. But what we do know is that the government is planning on a monthly uh, cash handouts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cash handout uh, will will uh, be depending on your, I would assume, your level of income and, and, and other metrics. For example, the number of children that you have. Depending, depending on this, this program called PADU, where they're actually starting to uh, build. Um, that is hoped to mitigate some of the impact on consumer to consumer spending uh, but but the worry is that you know of course uh, any adjustment to the economy will lead to some some other changes somewhere else so if you if you raise fuel prices uh, now then then that gives the the, the leeway for uh, for retailers to actually raise fuel prices raise their product prices as yeah. well and that could lead to a second round uh, effect on inflation so the government really need to be careful about how they're going to do the subsidy adjustments hmm. I think yeah that tying in inflation also the GDP forecast I think CGSCIMB forecasted a the country's real GDP growth to be at 4.6% for next year, whereas the budget actually expects a real GDP growth of 4 to 5%. Mm-hmm. I, I think recently World Bank has just, uh, you know, actually decreased the expected GDP growth rate for Malaysia to 3.9%. So I think maybe just building on uh, that uh, prediction or, or forecast by CGS, uh, CIMB. So while the government is so optimistic about our re- resilience, maybe can we understand why you have predicted Predicted the economy to grow at four point six percent. Okay, so um, exports going to turn positive. That's one. Uh, the E and E cycle, the electrical electronic cycle, is starting to turn around. That should help to promote exports. Um, on the domestic side, uh, you know, tourism going to improve. Um, the, the concern that I, that I, I have is with the targeted subsidy. Yeah, because. I mean, you you can actually remove your uh, remove uh, subsidy for the poor, but then give you cash. Yeah. And that would offset it. But for the rich, uh, if you remove the the subsidy for them, you don't give cash. And how would they respond to it? Yeah. You know, uh, whether they're price inelastic or price elastic, we we're still not sure. Uh, and 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 if they are you know if they are price inelastic, that means that it doesn't affect their demand. I mean they continue spending, and that's good. I mean then then private consumption might not be as negatively affected. Uh, then we will think that you know uh, that we, the 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 domestic economy will continue to remain uh, resilient. Well, so far I think in terms of what we've seen uh, with the economy right now, even with the third quarter GDP that came out recently. Uh, domestic demand is still fairly strong. I mm. mean, it, it, it's, it's fairly sustained. So, uh, we, we, we are quite optimistic over domestic uh, economic uh, performance. Okay. 
Yeah, that's that's great news to hear for us Malaysians. Um, and I think just swiftly moving on to our interest rate and currency, although we briefly touched on it earlier on as well. Yep. Uh, we know that the opera rates are maintained at three percent. Um, earlier on. And then this pause is also, of course, in line with your forecast and you are expecting it to be kept at 3% throughout next year. Is that correct? Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, what does this actually mean for our country moving into 2024? We know that inflationary measures and, and rate hikes are actually, they have a lagging effect. People don't really feel it. Mm. Uh, to six months, half a year, or even a year down the road. So, you know, by maintaining it or even increasing it, if you like to go further, what does this actually mean for the economy? How would people react to it? What are the behavior that are going to be affected by this? Okay, so of course, we, we forecast we forecast Benegara to maintain OPR at 3%, uh, but there's a caveat here because. Um, what we, we what what we don't know is the is the nature of the subsidy adjustments that the government is going to do mm-hmm. uh, and I've repeated this uh, before uh, saying that you know the the nature of the subsidy adjustment they're going to do will depend will 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 dictate how private consumption is going to perform yep. and how inflation going to react yep. um, if the government didn't do it with finance, meaning that you know if, if they do su- such a sudden adjustments, uh, and then the consumption was was tanking, uh, and inflation soaring, then then Benagara will have to step in. Yep. You know, uh, you know, they could either cut interest rates just to to, to stimulate, uh, just to stimulate the uh, private consumption, mm-hmm. and and perhaps then the three percent forecast might not be as realistic, lah. Then you can actually expect. Um, uh, the the Benegara to cut, uh, but that I think at the moment is a distant possibility. Still, mm. um, at the moment uh, we still think Benegara would likely to maintain uh, their interest rates uh, at three percent. Okay. Mm. Just quickly wrapping it up. So, in light of our current export weakness in Malaysia, of course you can disagree with that as well. Um, I think you've currently mentioned it in in an article uh, published in the Star. It's suggested that um, the weak ringgit could potentially serve as a mitigating factor against further export decline. And I think we've definitely touched upon that earlier as well, emphasizing the importance of consistent and prolonged weakness in the ringgit for substantial export gains. You underscored the necessity of stability over fluctuations. But I think it's really crucial to acknowledge the spillover effect as well, which manifests as a higher import cost. I think you've really explained the whole thing in in the beginning, particularly given that uh, 6% of Malaysia's food is important. So um, I think maybe just uh, your thoughts, your personal thoughts. What do you think is better, a stronger ringgit or a weaker one? A weaker one. No, we a weaker one. Well, well, from from economist perspective, we we always want to strive for weaker currency, to give us a, a nominal advantage in terms of our export pricing. Uh, of course, um, the lying. I mean, if if you really do your, if you really run economy very well, um, you strengthen your your advantages, then your currency will appreciate. Mm-hmm. A natural, natural appreciation, of course, and and and, and that, that, but that might not even affect your exports because your exports is in a product where it's actually in, in in a, in a product in in a sector that is that the country have strengthened. Okay, um, of course, um, like like you mentioned before, a, a weak ringgit is is good for for exports, uh, and and but but I I know I also want to repeat this again. Mm-hmm. Um, a uh, weakening of ringgit at one blip uh, weakness might not might not benefit export that much. You need a consistent and uh, consistent um, weakness of ringgit to see uh, a positive improvements in exports. So so what is important right now is not the volatility of the ringgit. Is is the stability of the ringgit. So ringgit, if you want ring, to see improvement in export, ringgit has to stay consistently weak for a longer period of time, so that then the business and markets will adjust 
to this new reality. Mm-hmm. And then you'll see positive improvements in export. So if it's just one blip, you know, if you've seen in the past um, month or so, they were didn't get weakened to 4.75 to mm-hmm. the dollar, and now it's come down to 4.6 mm-hmm. plus, right? Um, and that, that 4.75 might not actually did much improvements on, on the economy because it's just a blip. So that's why I said, you know, it always has to be uh, a more more stable currency rather than uh, volatile currency. And if you see in terms of what what the Bank has been doing, that's exactly what they've been doing. So they've been using their reserves to then and they and they uh, intervene on the ringgit on both sides. In fact, where they do actually intervene when ringgit is 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 too strong, and they also intervene when ringgit is too too weak in order to keep keep a very stable uh, mm-hmm. currency. Okay, should we expect the ringgit to continue weakening? And uh, what are your advice to our startups and businesses out there if the ringgit is weakening? How should they capitalize on this? Okay, um, so let me. Well, businesses will will will, will decide how how they decide. But uh, let me just tell you this: um, there's a good chance that the Fed will start to cut interest rates next year. Uh, we don't know either second quarter or is end of the year, but the, uh, a good possibility that they will start to cut interest rates, given that the uh, inflation is inflation in the US is starting to weaken. Um, and when they start to cut interest rates, then the interest rate differential between us and them will start to narrow, and theoretically, that should uh, improve on 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 the ringgit uh, to the dollar uh, basis. Um, that would uh, you know that that appreciation um, would likely to happen sometime. You know, our expectation is sometime middle of next year. But of course, you need to also understand that. Even though the Fed will start to cut, they might not cut to the level that they had before the pandemic, which mm. is you know you know uh, uh, you know low lower than one percent, zero point five or whatever. Um, that means that there's still a considerable interest rate differential next year. That means that the ringgit might not might not appreciate to a point where you expect it had. Uh, uh, you know, before before the whole thing starting, you know, mm-hmm. back to back to four percent, back to four point two percent, might not be that way. But 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 there's there's a possibility that we're likely to see more appreciation than what we've seen at, at the current level. Mm-hmm. Um, so so take that information and 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 do what you like with it, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, but of course I have to to warn as well, is that um, the U.S. Uh, the the US dollar tend to appreciate uh, uh, so let me just uh, go back uh, US uh, is a currency of extremes mm-hmm. uh, in a sense that the US dollar tend to uh, get strong or tend to appreciate when the US economy is very strong or the US economy is very weak mm-hmm. so uh, next year, if the U.S. is likely to experience a hard landing, meaning a sharp de- uh, re- uh, de- uh, recession, then there's a tendency of a flight to safety and ring, uh, dollar will start to appreciate. That means that ringgit will start to depreciate. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a risk there. Uh, also, um, on the other side of the spectrum, if the U.S. economy is doing very well, despite the the the, the high level of interest rate that we see in the U.S., the U.S. economy is still running very strong. Mm. Then dollar will also appreciate. Mm. Uh, um, that means that ringgit will 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 stay weak. So. The only way that we could expect a ringgit appreciation going forward is when the U.S. is somewhere in the middle, you know, uh, not too strong, not too weak, somewhere in the soft landing area. Mm. And then you're likely to see appreciation of the ringgit. Okay, I see. And that wraps up our episode nicely. Thank you so much, Mr. Nazmi, for spending your hour with me. (laughs) I hope that really has been an insightful discussion uh, for our listeners out there. And we're really excited that we're partnering with CGSEIMB again to bring to you a revamped look of the Long Game podcast. And until next time, let me see you again. Uh, Stay ahead of the Long Game. Thank you.